good. Sounding strong. We got a lot to cover tonight. I know. There's a lot. I saw three things in the movies. The Oscars happened, and... We do. Oh. I saw three things in the movies as well, but I think that some of them are the same ones, luckily. I think at least two of them. Yeah. Unless you saw Portrait of a Lady as well. Oh, I didn't. It's next on my list. It was here for like one day, and I yeah, thought, oh, good, uh, it's here. And then I looked the next day, and it wasn't here. And I thought, yeah, same just, here. I, I grabbed like, it one when I could. day. Do you want to put it aside in case you can see? It should be uh, streaming pretty soon, I think. Or do you want me to talk about it? Well, if you have uh, urgent thoughts, why don't you bring them up? If you don't have urgent thoughts, I will see it, and we can talk yeah. about it later. Up to you. Yeah, I don't. I'll just say the the, the very broad stuff. Like it's excellent. It's amazing. Yeah. Is there really a lady on fire? Uh, there actually is. The title is literally true at one point. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to spoil that one. No. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's 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 worth it to catch in a theater if you can. It was uh, it was beautiful. So boom, one checked off, <laughs> done. <laughs> All right. So I saw, and I don't think you did, Gretel and Hansel. No, that's right. Uh, we have talked about it off off the air, but um, not on the show yet. Oh, it was so bad. Strong reaction. It was so bad. So, obviously, it's based on Hansel and Gretel. And they took that shoestring of a plot and somehow made it thinner. Yet, the witch is at once a help to Gretel, because Gretel is, you know, an older teen, young adult. Hansel is a young child in this setting. So the witch is revealing to Gretel the mysteries of her womanhood and is kind of a spiritual guide for her. But at the same time, she's an enemy who needs to be defeated so that Gretel, I guess, can come into her own on her own terms. And that's me giving the screenplay a lot of credit. Now, this film looks it sounds very... complex and nuanced, yeah. by the way. Oh, but it, it's it's not somehow. Like, that seems to be what's going on. The performances are good. The look of the movie is very good. It's just so slow. It's so boring, dreadfully boring. And I didn't know what was happening from moment to moment. But it, we're pretty much playing out the, the machinations of the Hansel and Gretel story, except the witch is kind of good, but kind of needs to be defeated. And wow. I don't think it's a spoiler. The witch is defeated. Mm-hmm. And Gretel is going to be a woman on her own terms in the forest. Well, good for her. Yeah, I don't think I can speak on the message, mm-hmm. if whatever it may be. But I, I just hated this. I, I hated it. I felt wronged by the filmmaker. I felt like I wasted precious moments. And I usually don't feel that way. Usually if there's something that's bad or boring... I'm I'm entranced by it, but not this. This didn't rise to that level of badness. So this mm. is a definite on my list of uh, real bad movies of 2020. Wow. A lot I of was, people like it. it. Yeah, I know a lot of people who love it, actually. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know them. I've seen critics who love it, and I wonder if they're just kind of, if they saw it at a festival where people tend to enjoy things disproportionately, or if they're buying into the whole. It looks like, it. it really looked like it was going to have something new to say um cinematically speaking but the pg-13 put me off because it looks like something that's going to be really taking a big swing horror wise but then i was like well but it's pg-13 so yeah there there isn't a shred of horror in it no uh scary or dangerous circumstances as far as i believe Hmm. uh their mother is mentally ill puts them out of the house they're out in the woods they are they see this bounty of food Gretel wisely suggests that there's something wrong here because where did this bounty come from? There's there's no farm here. There's no animals. There's no nothing. How did this happen? And as it turns out, there's magic. There's a the witch has a has a magic within her that Gretel is coming to terms with her own sort of magic in this way. Yeah, I I don't get why anyone would enjoy this. Maybe they offered drinks on the way in. I I, I just I, it left me feeling graded the score was relentless and loud and just kind of like you know (laughs) throughout Hmm. and i could not see as i drove home i don't know what that was about my vision was blurred (laughs) 
<laughs> I was concerned wow. about whether or not I should be driving because something about the visuals wow. <laughs> left my sight impaired. <laughs> hey. The magic of Gretel and Hansel. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again because it's obscure and, and probably easily forgettable. But there is a movie that is on, I believe it's on Amazon, uh, called Hagazusa, which is a German uh, film, which is basically about a, a legend about a girl who's raised by a witch. It's not related to Hansel and Gretel or Gretel and Hansel, but uh, just thematically, it's something that sounds similar that I, I thought was stark and new and interesting and weird. And that's a, a recommendation to see similar themes treated in a in what I thought was a uh, very it's straight up horror though it's much it sounds like it's a lot creepier and, and scarier than this which i would prefer i did turn that on you've recommended that before um but we decided we didn't want to read that night so oh, yeah, we were sure. about yeah, a, a, a moment a, yeah. in and it's so we disappointed yeah. director bong um all right is that it on on gretel and hansel that's it for now I imagine I'll keep bringing it up all year. Right. We'll see if it holds up in in 15 years. (laughs) Holds up to its badness. Uh, I'll mention just quickly, since we're talking about horror-ish things, that I have been delighted to be collecting a lot of my favorites from last year on home video, the ones that I think I'll watch again, like Once Upon a Time and Parasite. And I grabbed The Lighthouse last week, Mm. and it had a commentary by Robert Eggers, the director, co-writer. And uh, it was very fascinating. It's very... um, surprisingly fun listen for such a weird movie he doesn't really get into thematic stuff but he gets kind of into the filmmaking and and he routinely kind of just laughs at it and says they were they were trying to make a juvenile buddy horror comedy <laughs> which i found so they interesting were trying because to it do? has a yeah, it's because it, it feels like it has a bit of portent to it, and it's trying to be gothic and arch and whatever. But uh, I think they were having fun with it, and that you know, it's a, it's a bonkers movie. Yeah, I laughed a lot. Yeah, but that was a fun listen. In case anybody's uh, lame like me and likes to listen to commentaries, I thought it was a good one. I don't like to hear you talk down about yourself that way. <laughs> Sorry. All right, why don't you it's just like me to do that? <laughs> Stop it. So I think we, the other two, I think we saw both of the other two, Birds yeah. of Prey and uh, Sonic. Let's get Sonic out of the way because I think right. there's, I want to sink my teeth into to the other stuff a little more. Did, now, here's my question. Did you see Sonic with your son or did you just see it because no. it was a movie? And... No, my son won't go to movies. He despises them. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a whole deal um, for another time. But I went to Sonic alone and I kind of forget why. I think I just wanted to see something. And mm-hmm. I had heard that it was good. I had heard that. I heard that as well. You know, and so I went and I'm, I'll put my cards on the table. I I enjoyed it for what it was. It didn't offend me. I I laughed at it sometimes. I like Jim Carrey, and it's you know completely yeah. by the book. There's nothing special about this yeah. movie at all. Um, but I certainly wasn't offended by it. It 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 took up my ninety minutes appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I have absolutely no connection to or history with this character. He is just like a, a an attitude avatar, you know, from a video game company. I know people are really into Sonic and the lore and everything. Uh, it's that's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, for what it is, this is a competent family movie based on a video game property, and uh, I think the best part is seeing Jim Carrey kind of doing his '90s shtick again. Yeah, and and kind of seamlessly like he still got it he's, he's ridiculous but it's fun to watch and um it's not good it's it, it it's full i mean it is it's fine it's just i don't think i genuinely laughed i might have smiled a few times it's short it's quick it's inoffensive and i think if i was you know if i was taking a kid to see a movie like this you could do worse there's definitely been much much worse in the same vein um in recent years Oh yeah, to me there was nothing wrong with it. I thought that Sonic was the right degree of likable as well as frenetic. I think his character could have been horrible. He wasn't. The you know his adult handlers are likable enough. Uh, James Marsden and uh, Tika Sumter, and and Jim Carrey I thought brought (laughs) the right uh, bonkers sensibility to what was otherwise kind of the real world. I liked the uh, 
the military people around their table who are completely self-aware. Um, I went to the Olive Garden after because I was so hungry for wow. the Olive Garden. Oh, that after product the placement. Product gotcha. placement. I know. It looked delicious. I was like, I want a $50 gift card. Oh. I don't. That's a spoiler. Uh, I'm sorry, everybody. That, that's he the, gets that's a, he gets a fifty dollar gift card in the end. Yeah. Olive Garden. Uh, also worth mentioning Ben Schwartz, who is the voice of Sonic. Uh, he's yeah. a comedian improviser that I enjoy. Most people. John know Rufio. Uh, John Rufio. He's also a great guest on podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang. So yeah, a lot of fun to be had if you're into that. If it doesn't sound unbearable, maybe you'll like it. Yeah, and I liked how he looked. I forget how Sonic looked originally that made everybody so mad, but I liked yeah. his new look. Whatever, whatever the difference. He was like, a, he was like halfway between that and like a human. He had like more human-like proportions. He had teeth. It was truly horrifying. It yeah. is a bad precedent, I think, that a fan community would overreact to a trailer so much that the filmmakers would change the design. But it was certainly an improvement in this case oh my goodness i'm looking at it now that's horrifying it's <laughs> so bad that's i feel so bad scary. for vfx artists this has been a, a story lately actually because people really ripped into the artists you know the, the unnamed unknown artists who, who did that mm-hmm. they're not unnamed go see the movie and look at the credits i just mean people you know making jokes about that and cats Right. And I follow a couple of animation blogs where they've really stood up for the artists and said, you know, these are people who take direction and do really hard all, all night long work um, of course. to make these movies. And it's not really fair to blame the, the effects guys if you don't like the way something looks. It's usually being done in service of someone else's vision. Of course, you have to be really good at what you do to come up with something like that, quite honestly. And they're not at the helm of the project. Yeah, really misguided of uh, the filmmakers to to think that they needed to create what a more believable Sonic. I mean, that's it's unthinkable not so seeing the drab. movie the way it is. Yeah, I see how like they warmed up his face. He's more brown in the muzzle and on his stomach, where before he was yeah. like at this drab whitish gray. He didn't look alive. I guess the impulse was to create something that seems like it could exist in the world, but this is. I mean, no. it's a blue hedgehog from another dimension, so. Right, give us a, something cartoony. That other one is uncanny. Yeah. yeah, looks like a child has a mask on. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Birds of Prey. So here's a here's a story about this. I'll let you I'll let you intro the movie in a minute. But here's a story about this that filled me with self loathing. Oh, <laughs> okay. So little background. I know nothing about this character or this franchise. It turns out th- there was another suicide squad you know this character has been out before i have zero awareness right and for some reason i just went i guess because i like margot robbie and i like the trailer um having no idea zero idea what universe it's part of or what's going on i just went in sight unseen and so i walk up to the ticket taker and she's like oh i heard it's really good (laughs) and you know what i said (laughs) without an ounce of irony (laughs) i said can't wait (laughs) (laughs) and then i was just hating myself up the escalator i was like can't wait wait. i know nothing about this it made me seem like i'm like a super fan so excited to be there follow up afterwards i know i avoided her on the way out (laughs) not because i didn't like the film but because i thought how can i pass off this character that i just created on my walk-in okay please uh please give us the background on this now all right well the quick background um which you know most cool people already know dan uh, <laughs> is that I have not seen Suicide Squad, but I am familiar with the, the Oscar-winning the, Suicide Squad. Yeah, I, I guess it actually was, was. Edit, editing or effects or something. No, it won for um, its makeup and hair. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're in the DC Comics universe here, and and uh, Suicide Squad, I, I suppose, is some kind of a, a villain team-up story. But the standout was Margot Robbie as this character, Harley Quinn. Who again? I have a very tenuous hold on this on this comic stuff, but I have enough familiarity to to say something that's half right. I think she's a character that was actually created for one of the Batman animated shows, like back in when we were kids. That much and I do know. Was yeah, so popular the, that animated one that was like dark and really rigid yeah, forms. Yeah, she right. was in that. 
And she, I think she was created for that and then so popular that they retrofit her into the comic books from that point on. And she's part of, she was the Joker's girlfriend. So she, um, got folded into that and she's part of that suicide squad story and, um, gets her own movie now, but it gets complicated because they're taking another property from DC comics, another collection of bad guys called birds of prey. And now they're, uh, they're making that, but they're putting Harley Quinn, who's not a member of the birds of prey, as far as I understand. So they're kind of like melding two things together. They're giving Harley Quinn her own movie. And then they're also taking this other comic series, birds of prey and kind of shoehorning them together. And I don't know if you, are you aware of the title change? Well, it seems like they're trying to, emulate birdman being a uh, bird title right because like didn't birdman have like oh, a yeah, birdman yeah, yeah. and then yeah, colon right. and then the blah 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 of blah blah blah, blah right? so that was the original title of this film was birds of prey or the what something liberation of fantabulous, fantabulous emancipation fantabulous i mean how tarantino is that uh, right 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 but that's not the title of the film any longer hmm. Because people were kind of like, well, this is not a Birds of Prey movie. The Birds of Prey don't really take shape until the finale sure of the don't. movie. I didn't you know, know there were Birds of Prey. Yeah. So the group of all the ladies, minus Harley Quinn, are the Birds of Prey. Oh. Um, this is kind of how they got together. So Rosie Perez and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the uh, Huntress and uh, uh, the, and the rest. Um, the Canary, the Black Canary, I think. Right. So the the movie title, it was uh, not the hit they wanted it to be in its opening weekend. And so, of course, it must have been that title. So they changed the title to Birds of, no, to Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey. Well, that makes a lot more sense. I would have liked, I mean, I don't want to see Suicide Squad now, but for whatever it's worth, I'd be interested in seeing it with her as a side character because I could see her offering a lot of color and interest yeah. in an otherwise drab or boring story. Centering her is maybe not the right move, though I mm-hmm. think. Robbie is completely up to the challenge and is completely committed to her characterization. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I did not see Suicide Squad. It wasn't really for me. Although now James Gunn, the filmmaker of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies over at Marvel, is making another Suicide, like rebooting it again. And she will be in that as one of the ensemble. So maybe that will be interesting. He's, a, I think he's a pretty good filmmaker. So we'll see. But yeah, this movie... uh Okay, so here's my here's my thing about this movie. It is a what I would call meta naughty comic book movie. It's like I'm a little bit I don't like this movie, and I think I'm being a little more dismissive of it than I would be because things like Deadpool already exist. So when Deadpool came out, Deadpool is a Marvel property ancillary to the X Men, and it was the first like R rated funny meta comic book movie. And I enjoyed it as a novelty because of all those things. It was different. It was unusual. It was fun. It felt naughty. It felt like we were getting away with something. And then by the time the second Deadpool came out, it was like, yeah, okay, now this is actually kind of dumb. And and it's a trick that doesn't work that many times. So if Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, had happened before Deadpool, it might have that novelty and I might be a little more into it. But it feels now like they're just too late to the game. And I'm just not as interested. I like these actresses. I like um, the t- I like the idea of it being funny and energetic and colorful. And there were a few sequences that I thought were fun. But overall, it just felt kind of like a comic book mess. And it didn't feel innovative enough. And uh, again, she is so magnetic and great. And I think I would watch any movie that Margot Robbie stars in. But uh, the character is is overbearing and annoying. And I'm not sure that it had enough meat on the bones for it to just be worth a whole movie. Oh yeah. Can you imagine if a lesser actress gave it a shot, it would yeah. be grading yeah, and, yeah, it could be an and, and, a, and a career ender. Uh, but yeah. here it's like, Oh, that's fine. I just, her character isn't really likable. It, she's colorful yeah. and interesting to watch. I wasn't bored with her. It's hard to center her in a movie, though, because she's just a horrible person. And she's a murderer. And she's like this, you know, she's supposed to be a a twisted, psychotic killer who also just has this kind of weird comedic presentation. But this movie seems to to want to almost make her like like a Pee Wee Herman, like a lovable misfit. But then Mm -hmm. it reminds you that she's a criminal and a murderer. So it's a weird kind of and, you know, it does that with male characters all the time. So to be fair, I mean, that's stupid whenever they do it it's kind of one of the issues with joker which is not trying to be funny like this 
but it is trying to make him weirdly sympathetic. So I, some of the same character things that I had issues with in Joker, I think resonate here, but yeah, I, I felt like this was not for me where I, I felt like Sonic was not for me, but was inoffensive and fun enough, you know? Yeah. I would have been inter- I mean, maybe I need to just see suicide squad. Maybe that is the answer to everything because I'm trying to imagine a professional psychiatrist in a prison somehow devolving into this person I see before me and I don't get it Yeah, because I think she needs to be believable as a real person. And now she's this maniac. She blew up that chemical plant with no payoff or consequence. That's a pretty big deal that yeah. for a city, for a, mm-hmm. a chemical plant that I guess is right in the middle of downtown to explode. That would be a major tragedy that people would talk about for months. But the whole cast or the whole every character looked at it with nary a backward glance as if, oh, she's just letting everybody know she broke up with Joker. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And by the way, in case anyone's keeping tabs, uh, Jared Leto would be the Joker that she is specifically uh, associated with in that universe. You know, Um, I'm going to I'm going to see it. I'm going to see Suicide Squad because. okay, I want to. Don't think you're going to love it. But I, oh, I, know I, I can't really say. I, know I, did, I, I haven't seen it. Maybe we I should both see, give it a look. Yeah, I want to see uh, Leto's Joker. I want to see how she came to be who she is. I, I felt, I had no idea there was a movie before this. Yeah. And so I feel like I can't kind of came in halfway through and didn't get it. The other thing about that ver- that this version of Gotham and this version of Joker and Harley Quinn is that it's very like prepackaged hot topic kind of like (laughs) they don't feel like real criminals in a real world of of intrigue it feels very much like a branded kind of a thing like the little tattoos like he's got a tattoo that says damaged on his face and it's it's lovely turning luke's yeah so uh did we we didn't like anything this week oh i like portrait of a lady on fire yeah i'll I'll, I'll see that soon i'm sure do we want to talk oscars before we take a break you know i feel like they what happened was so shocking and not completely unprecedented, but so unusual. And yet I feel like it was the right thing to happen <laughs> that I feel like yeah. I have very little commentary. Yeah. Um, Ong Joon-ho to me was the, the surprise of the night who wins best director after losing every single prize for the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, who loses best director after winning for the whole season. Um, right. The Academy was clearly way behind parasite. That wasn't just a trip of the, preferential ballot on picture that had a lot of support yeah because i thought when it stumbled at editing which i thought it had a pretty good chance and to ford v ferrari (laughs) of all things Mm -hmm. you know not even like a really a best picture contender i mean it was but not really i thought oh boy maybe they really liked ford v ferrari 1917 maybe that's kind of what the surge is here um but no clearly they voted out of guilt because they knew what they had at the top of their ballot yeah and they wanted to spread some wealth, but I was I was ecstatic with the the outcome. I thought that was great, and it was just such a strange experience to at least smile, if not cheer, for every almost every award. Right, it felt like a like a movie yearbook. It felt like I was seeing all my favorites kind of get a little nod. Uh, Taika Waititi yeah. getting his uh, his gold statue that was lovely. Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, Joker, I mean, I came around to the idea of Phoenix winning as a foregone conclusion. I wonder what I'll think of Joker if I watch it again in a few years, no longer shocked as things happen, because I know what's going to happen. It was a good performance, and clearly everybody um, really resonated with it. I don't remember the score, though it won for score. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was kind of, I mean, I thought it was going to win for score because she's been winning things left and right, and Mm -hmm. that's great. I really like the score to 1917, though, mm. and uh, Thomas Newman is yet to be awarded, and it seemed like this could have been a year for that to happen. So I thought that was kind of sad. Um, yeah, maybe a maybe a Joker rewatch is in my future, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> and Renee Zellweger, it, I mean, yeah, has there yeah. been a Best Actress winner out of a movie so forgettable? Uh, isn't right. everybody yeah, done with right. Judy? Won't we forget that it was ever even made, and yet it right, yielded right. a Best Actress win? easily too yeah not even a nail biter she didn't lose right. a single televised precursor that is it is odd i mean it's it's it is a, a an excellent performance but yeah in a movie that did not 
make much of an impact. I barely remember what happens in it. Yeah. I just remember her mimicking, you know, her effectively. Yeah, Brad Pitt, Laura Dern, those were good things. Yeah. It yeah. brings up the conversation of what to do with the international feature category. That win goes to the country, not to the filmmakers or producers, mm. which is kind of strange. Um, I, I get that this is a studio system. We're supposed to uphold the studio system. And then we also, since we are the Academy, we look at um, films that were made outside of that system in other countries. At the same time, it's just so exclusive. And if it's in the English language from another country, even if that that country's primary language is English, it won't be considered. It's very random. And what should happen if you're in Best Picture, you don't get nominated for international film? Take away your more likely win? I don't have a good right. solution to that. But what's hmm. the meaning of having two Best Picture wins, basically, yeah, right. and Parasite won four? Right. Not really. Even if everybody who voted for Parasite for Picture voted for Pain and Glory, um, I think there would still be enough people in the international category voting for Parasite who didn't vote for Parasite for Best Picture to still give Parasite a win. You know? Hmm. Because, yeah. I don't know. We'll never know what that was about. And I yeah. kind of like it that way. But the Oscars, uh, I, I really enjoyed watching them. Boy, they were long. Yeah, I know. A little, little Even bit when it feels like they're trying to keep it going at a clip, there, there's fewer host bits, it still just takes forever to get through that show. That, yeah, they still you know, bring out Steve Martin, Chris Rock at the beginning. Yeah. It's like, why not just make them the host then? Right. Yeah, um, I'll mention this just in case in case anybody's listening and has the same issue as as I do about watching things that you can only see on network TV. I did find a a free solution to watching ABC. I didn't have to subscribe to anything or start a free trial or anything like that. I just found an app called Locast L O C A S T. Uh, if you live in or near an urban center, this is an app that streams your local network affiliates uh, in HD for free. It's kind of like, uh, you know, what, what rabbit ear antennas used to be. If you didn't have cable, you could at least get the broadcast uh, networks. And uh, it works pretty well. There's an app on Amazon Fire that I used, and I watched the Oscars. Nice. All right, let's take a break, and then we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence. We're going to keep it in the Spielberg zone from uh, our last episode. And um, That's right. Yeah, huh, right, right. I like that. <laughs> I like that. And we'll uh, we'll be back in a couple. Bye. Welcome back. Um, I, Dan, I missed, I don't know how I did, but I missed the series of tweets that brought this up from Billy, who is, um, I believe, somebody that I actually know. And so, um, but I saw that you interacted with him through the uh, account. I did. I even put DH so it was clear. Yes. That it was me talking. <laughs> and I didn't have a great idea for a movie to do. And this one, and this sounded like a good one to me. I had in the back of my mind, maybe I saw it back in the day after watching it. Clearly, I had not mm. because I think I would have uh, remembered. Uh, some I of saw these it multiple times, but it has been probably 15 years since I did. Okay, so it still fits our mold that one of yeah. us saw it, though we didn't and confirm I, that when we chose it. I had strong thoughts then and I have strong thoughts now. Huh. Um, so, I mean, this is a movie people are by and large familiar with Duh, who wants to give just a quick little intro to the to what we're dealing with well when you ask that it <laughs> means dan do the intro so it's a 2001 american science fiction drama film directed by steven spielberg heard of him before and it's based on a short story and set in a futuristic post climate change society and it tells the story of David, played by Haley Joel Osment, who of course was pretty pretty hot in 2001. Um, he's a childlike android, uniquely programmed with the ability to love. And it was hard for me 
to understand big picture what the trajectory of the plot was about. That's not a complaint because he starts off wanting his mother, um, you know, so-called mother, Frances O'Connor, to love him, but he becomes overbearing and she leaves him in the woods to fend for himself. She doesn't want to return him to his manufacturer because they just destroy unneeded meccas, as they call them, mechanical beings. And he has a teddy bear that is uh, like, I'm what, like a teddy rug spin, but on on speed? Yeah, I think they call it a super toy. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think the original short story is more focused on, on uh, that idea of the super toy. Yeah. And he makes his way into this festival celebrating organic humanity. There's a rabid crowd that enjoys watching androids destroyed in creative ways. And he teams up, I guess you could say teams up, with uh, Jude Law as Gigolo Joe, a sex robot. And somehow he frees Gigolo Joe when he is freed from the cage of the doomed mechas. And they try to escape the people who are after them. And over and over, he is looking for the blue fairy because he knows the story of Pinocchio. He wants to be a real boy so he can return to his mother and then she will love him if he's a real boy. And so we kind of watch their journey unfold and he sort of gets his wish in the end in a pretty bittersweet way. I I liked it more and more as it progressed. I, yeah. I, I didn't understand the beginning or the middle as much as I ended up liking the end. It's definitely a movie of strange combinations of tone and it it's uh it's Spielberg completing a project which was a passion of the late Stanley Kubrick and so it has uh you know it's been planned out for years and storyboarded and and I believe even uh, scripted although that's not there's a new script here I think Spielberg himself is is credited as writer Yeah there's quite um, a story there I looked into it but it's mm-hmm. too convoluted to share really yeah. But so there's this weird, uh, not only is the story itself, there's kind of like two or three movies and the tone right. and the and the feeling kind of changes. But then you've also got the Kubrick legacy and the, the shadow of Kubrick over it. But then you've got the filmmaking style of Spielberg, which is very, very different. So to me, it's a movie of a lot of dissonance, not always necessarily bad, just it's a very strange jumble of things. Uh, it's also a fairy tale, but it's because it's Spielberg, there's so much attention to detail. So some of the issues I have with it are in those strange details, which to me distract from the overall feeling of the thing, which I think is largely effective. It's also, I would say the bleakest Steven Spielberg movie, because even when his subject matter is world war two or the Holocaust, he's telling a story about human, the human spirit and, and hope and life in the middle of, of, of awful circumstances. And this is kind of a movie about the failure of humankind, the, fa- the, the initial right. failure of climate change, and then the failure in the response and, um, you know, what to do about it and then how to treat the, the, the beings that they create. It's an incredibly, and the, and so you get, uh, you know, you mentioned this kind of bittersweet ending, um, which I guess we can be a little more specific about, Um, but I found it to be so, so, all right. When I viewed this movie 20 years ago, it, um, 20, what more than that now, I guess. Uh, no, it's, it's. Yeah. It's not quite, it's, it's, it is June 29th, 2001, dangerously close to some of the most haunting images in the film. Right, right, right. That's right. I noticed that this time too. Um, yeah. So to me, I watched it initially as, oh, this is Spielberg making a science fiction movie that was developed by Stanley Kubrick. And I was kind of very analytical of it as a science fiction piece. Now, you know that I have a weird uh, thing with movies about children. Uh, And this kind of activate this time around activated some of those same weird feelings uh, I had when I watched Room. Something about movies about children. kind of acting out into 
weird realities that they've been programmed with. But in this case, uh, I didn't find it as beautifully tragic and moving as I found it very frustrating. Uh, I don't understand. Sorry, I'm all over the place, but I'm trying to get to my central point, which is I don't understand the idea behind David as a solution to human, you know, humans, uh, the government has to restrict uh, reproduction because there's not as much space to live in. And this couple, Francis O'Connor, and I don't know the, the, the man's name playing uh, David's father quotes, but they already have a child and he is in a coma. And um, so they cannot have another child. So because uh, he works at this, this uh, institute run by William Hurt that creates artificial intelligence, he gets to be the test case to bring home this child. But I don't understand how the human need for the love of a child can be met with a permanently imprinting robot that's 11 years old forever and will need you like a like a child, even though you're going to age and die, that, that entire premise does not make sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I had a lot of questions. It is revealed midway that it appears that David is fashioned after William Hurt's own child who died. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, I I believe that's correct. And so why does he have his own version of David, I suppose? And this is just another David that he's right. given because it doesn't appear that David is properly marketed in the dialogue. They mentioned that this is the first or it's the prototype or something right. like that. Yeah. Right. And cause it seemed very strange that William Hurt has a lot of interest in the David that we're following and right. kind of encouraging him along the way, but at the same time has no interest in involving him in his own life. He comes in but, and then disappears. Yes. And then, but I'm just jumping all over the place here, but it, it's to the larger point that I'm making that, David, the main character version of David, mm-hmm. basically murders another David. Right. And that doesn't phase William Hurt. You're very special, David. Was that other one very special? Uh, yeah. Like, that's that, very... He was actually living with that one. I don't get it. Yeah. And of course, it's hard to look back on a 2001 vision of what the 22nd century would be since, I mean, obviously we are threatened with uh, climate change and those repercussions probably much sooner than the film takes place. But Mm. what's going on in the world? Everything about their world seems like it's normal. So if you've escaped the flooding on the coast, which is catastrophic, it seems like your life hasn't changed that much, except they don't want you to have too many kids. Right. I think that that might have been explored, but maybe we can suspend our disbelief about that because that's not the central part of seeing what life is in the greater globe after there's so little land and so little resources left. And we have these incredibly state-of-the-art androids who, on the surface, look exact, look and operate exactly like a human being. Yet there's been Chris there, Rock, even yeah. Yet there have been no um, movement forward with communication. Everybody still, I mean, their car looks a little bit more space age, but as far as the way human beings speak and interact and dress and have their houses. It just looks like 2001 with a little bit of a space age twist and New York is flooded, which I kind of enjoyed those sequences. I thought that Mm -hmm. was. um, It is stunning to look at. And I still think I think if we're talking holds up the cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, the the, the Spielberg's excellent at doing this. He's great at the detail of of world building and uh, it's gorgeous. The the effects hold up. The music is kind of haunting. And. I have a feeling all the nitpicks would be brushed aside by saying, well, this is very, you know, it's a fairy tale. It's supposed to be sweeping. Uh, I find that kind of weird and disjointed. But ultimately, yeah, what I take away from the movie is the emotional heart of it. But I find that if I'm going to give myself over to the emotions of this movie, they are almost unbearable. I I don't I don't if, if David's love is experienced as real there's a real you know dependence and need and love of a child and he's just sitting there for 2000 and years yearning and then he gets like i it i almost would rather talk about the science fiction elements yeah and he is not a child there's never any question it's there's never any tension raised that oh maybe he's more real than he is made out to be no yeah he 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 is an android throughout and i wasn't sure what the center of the story was going to be because First, we have William Hurt, who's had a trauma that leads him to create 
a world of Davids, but that's not what it's about. And then yeah. you have uh, Frances O'Connor, who really has not suffered a loss, though her child was in the hospital, he recovered. So she's not suffered a loss and she becomes understandably aggravated with this annoying robot who wants to be by her side every moment of every day. And yet she feels some compassion for him. So she doesn't want him destroyed. And then you think that's kind of the end of the journey with her, but his wanting to be with her, that is to me, the center of the story, Um, especially seeing how it ends where he returns to her for that magical day or a vision of her. And, and I had always, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, and so then my point is, what is the whole center with Jude Law about? Because we never care right. about Gigolo Joe. He is, there is a device of plot to be able to get David from one place to another, an adult who is competent at moving vehicles and getting him out of tight places. And then when he's no longer needed, he is quite literally hoisted out of the picture, I right, guess, to be right. destroyed. And I don't think the audience is supposed to feel anything about that. I didn't. And David yeah, didn't right. appear to care. He's just, okay, well, I'm going to go right. be destroyed now. His function's now. over, and there he goes. It's, that's right. It. And so what was that whole center of setting up what his character was yeah. like and what having a humanity that depends on the services of real but also right. repulsive sex dolls? What is that about? I think there's an unsat. I know it's very unsettling and weird. I think there's an unsatisfying answer to the question you're asking uh, just because there is um, – and in, on the Blu-ray of this movie, it says, watch the film with Steven Spielberg's introduction, our responsibility to artificial intelligence. And he talks about how if we're going to create these new worlds, or we're going to create synthetic life, we have a responsibility to it. And I feel like that stuff in the middle is an almost weirdly glib and comedic adventure about that kind of, but that to me does not resonate very well with the what with the beginning and the end it's not about our commit our responsibility to david i mean maybe it is but it seems like it's more just a like a kind of a of a fairy tale about love and and like a version of pinocchio or something i don't know it's to me that 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 messaging is a little convoluted right and if they would have brought up more directly what is the difference at this level between humans and androids? That's why androids will never achieve the heights of these creatures, these beings that we see in this movie. It's not possible. Um, what's the difference between an android being programmed to feel these intense emotions and humans who in whatever way are in our way programmed to feel these emotions until mm -hmm. we die? What, what's what's the line between humanity and artificial intelligence is a theme that I feel the movie barely picked up on. Yeah. We just started following David and I kind of loved when he was trapped underneath the water looking at that blue fairy. And I thought that was going to be the end of the movie. I thought we mm -hmm. were pulling back and he's looking at her and then there was an ice age and then there was 2000 years. And this is kind of going further and further into myth and lore and beauty and i thought that is a perfect ending <laughs> but no yeah. yeah then we have what i thought were aliens as i looked back on the plot synopsis these were actually mechas from yes 2000 years later evolved beyond humanity i guess so i guess that was described in the movie because that's in the plot synopsis but mm -hmm. even watching i thought intently i missed that and these are benevolent beings and they want to be able to give david whatever he wants because he is so special having actually known humans back in the day. And then that next sequence I thought was kind of beautiful that he gets this perfect day with his mother and he gets to experience what he's wanted for 2000 yeah. years. It's still kind of sad, but then there's a whole um, trajectory problem for me. It should have been all about the mother in the beginning and then all about the mother in the end. And, cut out some of that middle because yeah. it seems like that's what the movie was going to be about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I, here's the thing. Two things are true at the same time. I wept uh, sloppily during that ending section, but I also have this issue with it. Um, we're talking about the ethics of how we treat creatures that are, you know, machines that are programmed to seem like they are feeling things. Mm -hmm. And I think those are legitimate questions, but 
to me, what the advanced AI did, what those, uh, you know, the, the mechas did at the end. And I, I had always assumed in my memory that they created the experience in David's programming of being with his mother for a day mm-hmm. and that there was some reason. No, they brought her back right. to life from her hair. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bigger ethical quandary than how we treat a robot. <laughs> That this person, without her consent, was brought back into existence for the, you know, for the emotional catharsis of another being. And she can never be brought back again. She is now lost to time. Um, again, I don't really care about that. I'm just saying in a movie that want, that is sort of half raising ethical questions, it kind of just uses that cloning of this human being as a little plot point at the end. Yeah, that was that's interesting. She had no knowledge of what had happened to her. Did she have any thoughts or memories or plans of her own? Yeah. If she were whatever day, you know, she thinks right. she's waking up on. Right. And I thought about that since trapped. it is it's not programmed since it's really happening. Yeah, what are her thoughts? What's the depth of her memories? What what day does she think this hey, is? Did she have carpool today? Right. Right. What about her needs? Did she need to go get something done? Go right. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And now I'm looking down here, and I'm remembering that Robin Williams voices this doctor. No. Yes. I thought this was curious that in a land of such sophisticated AI as to look completely human, why in the kind of funhouse playland area does we do we have this kind of hamburger helper character right. on really low grade a hologram or whatever it was yeah. basically giving us a sassy version of Google that mm-hmm. maybe Google was a thing in 2001. Certainly there was some kind of search engine, but this idea that you would need to go to some robot thing to get answers, pretty basic answers to your queries this was worse than Google would do. And I found that whole sequence to be annoying. Yeah, there's, I mean, one of the great things about Spielberg's movies is that they are inventive. And uh, by the way, Google was founded in 1998. I don't know when it actually launched, but I quickly looked sure. it up. So it, it existed. Um, so I like that it takes swings. I like that he's like, hey, let's have some animation here. Hey, let's have some that some of the cityscapes there were remarkable. But yeah, o- overall, I don't know that the quiet, intimate rooms of um, you know David's house, his family's house, that those scenes feel like they exist in the same world as what I forgot what that city was called. Something city. It was kind of a very obvious uh, fairy tale-ish name but like um it yeah again it feels like different movies uh, without a whole lot of attempt to uh join them into the same world a lot of different worlds i couldn't believe that um flesh fair everyone was uh, a monolith no one was thinking for themselves in there when they escape how in the world did they both just go to an exit with everybody still in there fighting hand to fist and they escaped all of that melee. That world doesn't exist at all in the world of the David's house. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that those two are the same worlds? Not me. And if the score had been different, you'd think you were watching a horror movie because David is so creepy Mm -hmm. and so over the top in trying to ingratiate himself to his mother. I don't blame her for being put off. He's very annoying, and he also serves zero function, especially when their child comes home. Right, right. He's a burden. Uh, Haley Joel is um, really good. Oh, he's he great. Such a compelling, you know, perfect actor for this part uh, with all of its kind of strange issues of, of conception aside. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he just had such a, a control of himself and of his performance at that age, and um yeah so that i mean that part of it is strong everything is so strong it's just i i would love to know i would love to somehow be able to see the version of this that kubrick would make Mm -hmm. it would not be as treacly it would not be uh would not take so many you know creative swings i think it would be stark it would be one thing um but i uh yeah i mean we'll never know but um 
this is definitely a curiosity and I'm not sad that it exists. I enjoyed looking at it again. I enjoyed watching it, but it does by and large baffle me. And to me, it's one of the real outliers in Spielberg's filmography. Yeah. And really who cares what I think about it? I could make my, you know, do my, my sideline uh, backseat driving on, on the film. I think it's a fascinating film and it gave me a lot to think about. It gave us a lot to talk about. I wonder yeah. what I'd think of it if I watched it again in some time. I think that when I'm watching something for the first time, I can kind of judge the turns that it takes. But once those turns have been established in my mind and I go, okay, this is what this movie is mm-hmm. and I can watch it on its own terms, I appreciate it for what it is. And I appreciate a lot about this movie. Yeah. Uh, a couple years later, Spielberg would make a, a straightforward um science fiction movie uh a minority report oh which, so good which i think so is good. still yeah excellent excellent movie uh but in that era where he's doing this specific kind of feel of cinematography and and the the effects of the the, the slightly futuristic cars and weapons and buildings and things that story uh, made a lot more sense though yeah yes well yeah and and we're saying you're saying that this this movie gave us a lot to think about but most of that is just trying to figure out what it wants us to think about. Whereas, you know, Minority Report had a theme and and mm-hmm. told a kind of a, well, I think it literally is a um, Philip K. Dick story adaptation. So uh, this one, part of the journey is just piecing it all together and saying, what are the themes? And then extract, extrapolating what felt like the themes. Not all of them are very uh, congruent, but um, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a thinker. Right. And now we're not, you know, we're not talking about Minority Report today, but since we are, that was only a year later, the June 17th of 2002, wow. that was Minority Report. And even by the title, the theme and the central idea is in place. Finding yeah. the Minority Report is a device of the plot, but right. really the, the deeper metaphor that people cling on to is that thing, that, that way things could have been, mm-hmm. you know, if just this one thing had happened differently. Right, and right. that um, we turn over and over in our grief that, mm-hmm. you know, there's what really happened. And then somewhere out there, there's this being who knows the minority report. Um, there's something really compelling about that. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're going to get that granular about titles, I meant to bring this up earlier, too, that the, I find the the title of this movie strange. I don't know that David, I understand what art, artificial intelligence is and that he is it, mm-hmm. but he's so much more. It's, you know, it's not just about artificial intelligence. It's about artificial feelings. It's about, uh, I, I wonder if the title is just to make it weirdly uh, resonant with E.T., the extraterrestrial, that it's that same mm, format of a title and just make it a Spielberg type of a thing. Because I don't love that as a title for this story. It feels cold. It feels not as as deep, you know, of feeling as, as the movie is. Right. I mean, what if they'd called it Day with Mother? <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. We'd be talking yeah. about Day with Mother. Mm-hmm. And then, then I would have known from the beginning what it was about. <laughs> I could have understood it right. better. Yeah. With like a colon, get that not about the gigolo. Right. And by the way, right. everybody was like into putting gigolo into their, like, you know, Deuce Bigelow in those days, like the idea of a gigolo was like a funny thing. Now I feel like that word has mostly fallen out of the vernacular. Who would ever call somebody a gigolo today? I I don't think they would. Have you used that word recently? I have not recently. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a use for it. No. Also, people so frequently put the word male in front of it as if. uh, Right. Right. Or like, even if they talk about male prostitutes, what are we why Um, right yeah these are the questions raised by (laughs) artificial intelligence (laughs) stanley kubrick's legacy was to get us to uh yeah i would have been interested to see kubrick make this um some of what i was reading about the storytelling and all the different uh drafts and versions the screenplay went through Spielberg holds that the way it ended and that final act was entirely what Kubrick had in mind. That's what he wanted. And mm-hmm. so for all the haters who didn't like it, mm-hmm. that was how Kubrick would have done it. Maybe he would have. I think there, there, was, few... Sorry, there was something very uh, tree of life in it, though. It, this was mm-hmm. earlier, right? Where the mother is just this 
um, perfect luminous figure. And I, I don't know. It, it yeah, was a similar yeah, dynamic to me. Right. And, you know, Spielberg was accused at the time of tacking on a treacly ending to Spielbergize it. But I do remember mm-hmm. reading that and hearing that, no, that's from the original treatment. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not sorry that this exists. It is a uh, remarkable piece of, of work on its technical uh, levels. And um, it's worth spending time with and, and thinking about. Um, totally. Maybe I'll see it again in another 10 years and have, you know, additional feelings and thoughts. I mean, talk about Minority Report with the many images of the World Trade Center. Yeah. This idea that they were there in the 22nd century, instantly dated within, you know, what, three right. months of release. That that's not the way Strange that history me, went. Dude, just as a nitpick that, so William Hurt's running some kind of office or laboratory. Right. In There's no infrastructure. There's no power grid. I right. would what about the health concerns? Right. How right. are you eating? And the endless, and I wish they would, maybe they did, and I'm just not that observant. Talk about the endless energy that these bots can have. Yeah. Where, where How are they fueled? If you're beneath the yeah. ocean and ice for 2,000 years, how can you still have energy? I guess maybe if you were touched by one of these futuristic mm. meccas well and i feel like the answer would be oh it's a fairy tale but this movie is rife with fascinating right. detail <laughs> so it begs these questions because of how much attention has been paid to the realization of this universe right the whole um opening sequence where william hurt is in that room of other scholars i guess mm-hmm. i wondered why not have that be a conversation with one other colleague that was strange it was unrealistic yeah to me i mean this is not even a nitpick it's just what came into my mind that this quiet room everyone speaks their questions one at a time and then when the main conversation's over suddenly everyone's talking at once it's also organized in a way that human conversation never goes and i thought you might have had the might have brought up the same issues just speaking with one colleague right and it it, to me it just it sets the stage for a quiet, intelligent movie, and then we move into the more intimate story of the family. Right. And then as soon as we go back out into the greater world, it's a crazy cartoon. Right. It doesn't... Thing... It's not the same world that it opened with. No. And, like, Jude Law, I found him repulsive. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't like his character. And then he's framed for a murder? What? Right. And then he needs to escape, but it doesn't seem to have any stakes. No. Yeah, I, f- I felt it was like a lot of traveling around with Jude Law, and that wasn't what the movie was about at all. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Dan, any final thoughts on AI? You always ask that. I never do. I'm sorry. Because if I had I'm, some, I would already... It feels already... like we've finalized our thoughts. Yeah, I would have I shared them. <laughs> all right. Well, um, thank- hey, Billy, thank you so much for the suggestion. Uh, I think uh, we got a good convo out of it and i had a good time uh revisiting the movie i enjoyed watching it for the very first time and i look forward to revisiting it nice i think i have a title in in mind for an, an our next uh holds up convo but i think I'll, I'll skip a week and we'll just see what we can see in the movies and uh great have a low-key week next week and then we'll pick it up um from there thanks dan a pleasure as always oh and also with you <laughs> Thanks for listening. This has been our podcast. We are Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. And our show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Our music's by Jonah Rapino. We will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Do you have your movie plans set for this week? No, I don't. You tend um, to I, just kind of wing it, right? You go. I totally wing it. I don't have any sort of a plan unless there's a big thing coming out, which in February there's just not. Yeah. Well, I've already got tickets for uh, one ticket, just myself, for the <laughs> photograph on Wednesday night. Yeah. Why is it that we kind of. <clears throat> don't edit this. <laughs> I'm not editing that. That's in. <laughs> now you have to edit it. Um, We do always say tickets, even when we're talking about the singular. Yeah. I have a ticket. It sounds weird to say that I got a ticket. I think that just right. sounds... I, like you're a kid skipping with your lunch bag. Right. I got a ticket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you got tickets to see yes, the, the photograph. photograph. 
Lakeith and uh, boy has that is ever ubiquitous in the trailers yes i, I feel know. like i've watched that trailer nine times and i still don't yeah. have a great feeling i don't i don't know if right. the movie is for me it kind of wasn't on my radar and then three you know three superlative reviews in i was like oh okay maybe this one's worth a uh, a peek yeah, maybe there's a mystery to be solved yeah sure it's about the love and the past and oh inheritance. i love movies yeah. about that yeah 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 Love in the past. Right subject matter. Maybe I'll write a screenplay and I'll title it Love I might, in the Past. Yeah. Hey. I have this memory of my of having at the Olive Garden of all places. Hey. Having dinner with my grandmother. She's since died. My grandpa was there who has not died. And she was kind of frustrated with him and she said, All right, we are not going to talk about the past at this meal. If any if any topic is about the past, it gets shut down. <laughs> wow! And it was like the quietest dinner I ever. Had. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! And so I think I have an opening scene for love and the past. <laughs> sure. At the Olive Garden, and we went on a gift on a gift card. <laughs> of course, from the because US government. I know because I used to think Olive Garden was so fancy, and I get a sprite. Yeah, sure. And I kind of stir it around with ice in it with my straw because that's what fancy people do. Ooh. You know? Wow. Got it my, sounds like uh, this is taking you to a really uh, true place. <laughs> Lasagna Classico in those <laughs> days. I oh. changed to Fettuccine Alfredo, but now I like a tour of Italy because I've, wow. I've uh, reintegrated <laughs> my past right. with my present. And that's the only way to wow. move forward into the future. Remarkable. Very this intrigued. is the longest and epilogue ever. And this is all my, the soup's in. delicious. <laughs> Well, um, thanks for opening up for us, Dan. <laughs>